Remember last week we talked about this area of salvation in the church? And if you're saved, you want to be in a teaching church. Why? Because in a teaching church, you're going to learn how to be responsible as a Christian. First, to your family, to your society, to your community, to your nation, and basically to your God. If you're not in God's word, you really don't know how to build a family. You don't know how to have a proper relationship. If you're not in God's word, allowing God to minister to you, you're going to be in a faulty type relationships. Watch and see how many relationships don't last. Look at our dating situation today. Because we date from feelings rather than God's facts of the word. See, I got a good book up in my, in my library I was looking at it the other day. It's not bad breaking up. Some people cry about breaking up. Breaking up is one of the best things that can happen. Because if you with the wrong person, you want to be walking away, waving. Don't have to look at them because you might have a little sympathy because they get, no, walk away waving, bye, and learn how to say bye to trouble. Learn how to say bye to something that don't appreciate you. Learn how to say bye if you're not first in somebody's life. And see, the Bible teaches us that. For a nation falls in decay when it walks away from God's word. It falls into decay. For a nation to exist, the people have to understand what is righteousness. What is righteousness? For a family to exist, righteousness has to dwell in that family. For a person to be successful, now I'm going to talk about feelings for a moment, and feel good about self, they have to understand righteousness in their own life. When you remove righteousness, now I'm talking about God's righteousness, not as a man thinketh and seeth himself, what? Righteous. But understanding God's righteousness. And that comes from scripture. When you gather that, you're going to be successful. When you're doing the things that are righteous in God's sight, God makes us a promise that he'll cause us to prosper. He'll raise us up in due season and at the proper time. And then that area of reading from by great people. Christians don't read about the difficult lives that many other Christians have. Understand something. Last week with Pastor Travis Simpson, we were talking about suffering. If you don't learn to suffer some, and let me use another word, make sacrifices, you're not going to be successful in anything you do. Because everything's about you and you want it easy. 
You want it easy. And there is no easiness in life. There's no easiness in life. We still not there, Mark? Okay, so y'all going to have to just follow me this week. We'll pick up in that area where we left off last week. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good people do what? Nothing. For good people to do nothing. And the sad part about it, we have a lot of people doing all the wrong things. We have a lot of people who don't have an inkling of what righteousness is or to do what is right. And until that becomes something that's in our hearts, and that's something that children are trained to do. Children left on them by themselves will be like a bad weed in your yard. It has no boundaries. It'll keep what? It just keeps spreading. But see, righteousness knows how to put boundaries around itself. Righteousness knows how to say no to certain things. Because Satan's going to tempt you with everything of this world. And righteousness knows what is good and what is bad. And in our culture today, in our society, we have learned how to pick the bad rather than the good. You can't tell me a lot of these women get stuck with these men not thinking at first, hey, that's a good guy, that's a good guy, then he's a rotten egg. Or the man, oh man, she's beautiful. He just hasn't seen the inside. Seen the outside, but not the inside. And we make all these bad decisions because we have nobody really directing our lives. People have become so separate from everybody else, they can't get good counsel. And the Lord says, boy, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. There's safety in opening up your lives and talking with other people. There is safety in hearing from people who can discern God's will, people who mean you good rather than just use you. And one of the ways you have to discern Decide about people. And sometimes I share with people in my office, hey, I don't get a dime for this. <laughs> Whatever you do, it won't put another meal on my table. I'm still going to eat. God's going to see to that. Hey. Whatever help you might receive here, you're not receiving it because I'm going to benefit for some change in your life. What we have forgotten in our culture and society is simply this. Wisdom is shared. Knowledge is shared. But we're in a generation that doesn't want wisdom or knowledge. Just want to please itself. And in pleasing itself, what it doesn't recognize is following after its own lust. All that is necessary for evil to triumph in your life, triumph in your family, to triumph in your community, in your nation, is for good people to do nothing. To do absolutely nothing. 
The church is raised up to do something. And I'm going to step out here for a moment. The church is raised up to do more than just lead people to Christ. That's our main mission, yes. But that's not our only mission. Christ healed people that didn't follow after him. He gives us an illustration of that of the ten leopards. How many returned and said thank you? The thing is, is that we are here to serve people and in a sense leave the results of that to God. And God tells us in Rome, our kindness, his kindness, brings about repentance in the hearts of people. We need to be doing something. We can criticize about how bad our country is. We can criticize about all the shootings that are taking place. We can criticize. And some of you may have read yesterday about the 14-year-old boy who hung himself. We can talk about how bad things are. But the question is this, what are we doing about it? And most of us, Satan had duped us in saying, you can't really do a thing. Remember that little song we used to sing? It only takes a spark to give what? Why don't you ask God to make you the spark? You be the spark. And see what kind of bonfire you might raise up. But if you're only going to sit back and criticize, then you're not part of the solution. And understand something. God has called you and raised you up for such a day like this as Christians to be the true light of the world. Not to hide, not to run away from it, but to see the problems that we face and give a solution and go at it. Well, you say, nobody want to hear me. Well, if they don't want to hear you, do it. Because the thing is this, talk is cheap. But put something into action. Begin to really show what real love is for people and really caring for people really ministering to people and doing for people. And the hard one, reaching in our pockets in order to serve other people. Somebody has to stand up and say, boy, this is right. Standing up for that which is right. The question is, who will do it? Because sometimes when you stand up for righteousness, there's somebody to knock you down. There's somebody that's going to take a swing at you. Somebody's going to say something about you. Somebody's going to even come to the point, oh, you think you holier than thou. Learn to be able to take a hit for righteousness. Because Satan doesn't want people to know about Righteousness. Satan doesn't want people to understand. Their bodies are the temple of God. That's where God wants to dwell. 
but he will not dwell in a defiled temple. He will not dwell in a sinful temple. You can go back and learn that in the Old Testament. God had the temple just tore down. Why? It was not meeting his purpose. It was not really showing forth the holiness of God or the glory of God. So why even have it? Speaking up for that which is right. How many of you have been silenced, even on the job? You'll hear people talking about something and you know it's wrong, but you won't say a thing. You'll hear men and women talk about their relationship and what happened on their date and this and that. How many of you step in and say, that was wrong? Man, you know, I was with so-and-so last night and it was this and this and that. And man, we, we just danced and we drank a little bit and we wound up and, and man, it was just great. No, that was wrong. How many of you hear your own children? Or allow your own children to bring something in your presence that is of the world and not of God. My daughter came one day and this young man came over to see her. And I just told her, I don't want to see him again. And she understood. I do not want to see that person again. And sometimes we need to say that to our children. I don't want to see that person again. See? If you raised your children, you can't start when they're 15, 16, 17 years old. You got to start that while they're young that they'll trust what you say. But you're the one who got to speak righteousness into their life. And they have to see you standing for righteousness. Don't try to teach your child something that is right while you're doing what? Wrong. Do what is right. But understand when you choose to do what is right, the willingness has to be there to follow through. A lot of us talk righteousness, but very few of us live righteously or act righteously. But we'll talk about it. We'll tell very quickly where other people are wrong and they shouldn't have did that and they shouldn't have did that. And God said, pull the beam out of your own eye first. Deal with that first. Before you start talking about somebody else's sinful life or somebody else's doing you wrong or somebody else doing this, look at yourself real good in the mirror and get those things out your own eyes. See? And the question, do we know what to do in the time in which we're living right now? Do we really know what to do? Do we know what to do with all the shootings that are taking place? Do we know what to do? Up in Cleveland, Cleveland, people said something like 120 rounds came through their house. Do we know what to do? Do we know what to do with all the 
unwed mothers? Do we know what to do with all the confused children on all type of medication? Do we know what to do with all the trouble with divorce? Do we know what to do with all the heartaches that people are having? Do we know what to do? And that's the biggest question that is before us today. How do we respond as Christians to all that we see is taking place in our culture? Well, somebody said, well, let's just get them saved. Well, after you get them saved, then what? Because, see, now comes the issue of just like a child. A lot of people go out and have children and then abandon. Why? Men don't want the responsibility. Oh, it's nice having somebody else have them, but now to spend the time in raising them and investing in them and clothing them and feeding them and providing for them for 18 years, they're going to take away from me. I could be riding in a nice car. I could be dressing real nice. I could be doing this, and you want me to put my money on that? Well, she had that. I didn't. And then the mother, in a few years by herself, it wears her down. It becomes frustrating. Why? You really got to work, and guess what? When you go home from work, you got more what? And the thing is, let's get it right to make life enjoyable. Go with me to First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. I like this verse. Because it poses that question, what do we do? But it also said they knew what to do. And my question is, in this time in our culture, do we really know what to do? For we're looking for an answer from Washington. We're looking for an answer from Congress. We're looking for an answer from our president. The question is this here. Do we as the people of God really know what to do? For he says, the men of Issachar who understood the times. So the first thing you have to do is what? Study your what? Study the time in which you're living. Study in the period in which you're living, seeing the people in the reality. We're in verse 32. You want to see the people. First Chronicles 32. You'll never understand the time unless you study the people, unless you study the problems, unless you study the situations. Unless you really take a good look, a doctor cannot diagnose you without examining you and doing a little research about you to say what you have. No lawyer can go and really plead your case without sitting down what? Hearing from you, hearing the facts of what took place, understanding your situation somewhat, why you may have acted this way or that way. When we take time and study our culture, our society, the people, yes, we already know one thing, they're sinful. And just because you become saved does not mean you're not going to what? The question is why? 
whether it be out of lustfulness, whether it be out of greed, whether it be out of just a rebellious spirit that's in me, whether it be I haven't had any other teaching. This is all I know. And understand this. People cannot do any better than what they know. They can't do any better. It's knowledge. And the Lord says, my people perish for what reason? For the lack of knowledge. And the church's job is to give them knowledge on how to live daily in this life. How they behave. Not like the world, but like Christians. So he says, well, I study the time. I study what David, I studied what Saul, I'm studying Israel. I looked at it and I understood that, yes, David as a child was anointed to be king. I understand what's going on in a certain way. And the people began to follow after David. And the whole issue is that I looked at my time. How many of you are really looking at the time in which we live and praying about it? You know, the only thing that's going to rescue us is a revival. Is a revival. Is that the hearts of people turn back to God. When you look at Israel, you will understand something. Either the hearts turn back and it held off captivity for a while. Or they went into captivity and things got worse. Oh, it's very true that Jesus Christ is right at the door. And he's about ready to come. It's one or the other. I'm praying that we're going to see another revival in which God turns the hearts of the people because it's God's will that none should perish. And I believe the only reason he holds off the coming of Christ is that there are still those who are seeking him. But we are quickly becoming a nation that is not seeking or caring about God. Go to Second Chronicles 6.18. 2 Chronicles 6.18. Because this question is, is, is being asked. And we have to answer this question. Because in it, we have to acknowledge, is this true? Is this true? You have to really look at it, and you have to ask it for yourself. Is it true? He says, but will God really? And this is what people are asking today. Because they're not sure God really exists. They're not sure if God really cares about them. They're not confident that God loves them. So in this whole thing, with the temple and everything else that's going to be built in Solomon's day, this question is somewhat formed. But will God really dwell on earth with men? 
will God really dwell with us? Will he really come in if I ask him and live in my heart? Will he really come into my life and change my life? Will he really come into my life and order my steps? Will he really come into my life and transform me? Will he really come into my life and renew my mind? The question is, will God really do it? Does God care enough to do it? Am I worthy of God doing it? And those questions are real questions that are being asked by people internally. Even though they say what they think we want to hear from them with their mouth, but on the inside, if you would understand something about people, people off the cuff, right up front, are not really truthful with us the first time we meet them. (laughs) Why? We have been taught not to trust anybody. So we're very careful on what we say and how much we say. Isn't it strange today? I don't care who you talk to. We have coined this little saying, I'm blessed. And I, I've coined my little saying, I don't want to be blessed like you. <laughs> because I know there's a much better blessing than what you're talking about. But I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Well, if you mean you're blessed just because you woke up this morning, you are. But I'm talking about the total life. That total life that that individual is living. That they can truly say, I'm blessed. Because they understand that God is with them. And God is working in their circumstances. They understand they're being transformed. They understand that the aches of life and the pains of life, God can give them victory over it. And God is transforming their life. God is changing their life. God is doing a new work in their life. And they understand that God is not afar off. But he's right here. And he's an ever-present helper. But the question is, will I ask him for help? Will I humble myself and say, Lord, help me. Lord, direct me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me discernment. He's real. He's alive. And I don't care where you're at in life today. He wants to be part of your life. But understand this principle. He will not travel with you going down the wrong road. But if you desire to do what is right, he begins to pick you up. He begins to build your confidence. He begins to show you what he intended you to be. Not what you made of yourself, but what he intends you to be. And the thing is asked by many people, does God really want to live in me? Does God really want to dwell in my home? Does God really care about me? And then we listen to Satan for a moment. See, if God really loved you, you wouldn't have been born in the home. If God really loved you, you would have had this kind of mom and dad. If God really loved you, this would have happened in you. If God really loved you, the question is this. When did you really start having a heart towards God? 
not about your past. When did you individually begin to choose? I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God. And when you make that decision that you want to walk with God, guess what? You got to leave some old things where. (laughs) And that's how you know when God is really in a person's life because they're willing to let go of the wrong in order to run after the right. And at first it's going to suffer. Why? Because Satan's going to do all he can do to keep you from God. Going to try to keep you from the life that God has for you. Go to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. Then I'm going to skip a little bit. 1 Samuel 22. Verses 1 and 2. Listen to what takes place here. Remember I said, boy, Issachar knew what to do. He says, boy, David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adon. When his brother and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. What I want you to see is this. Saul had become, and Saul is still king. But right now the nation is in in turmoil. People are disconnected from the nation. The leadership is not pleasing unto God. But they knew David. And they knew the heart of David. They have seen David grow and how God, in his own way, allowed David to kill a Goliath. How David won all the victories for Israel. Not king yet. But what they were able to pick out was this. A man who was after God's heart. They were able to look at Saul as king. And David, the one whom God now has anointed to become king. Yet not king. And they were able to make a choice. And they gathered themselves to that one in whom they believe was seeking God and following after God. And that's the decision you and I have to make. Who do we follow after? Who do we follow after? Who do we draw ourselves to? Once you ask yourself this question, I had to ask myself this question. When I first accepted the Lord, I had my beautiful Oldsmobile Tornado. You see some of my old pictures. You, you, you see me in my little jumpsuits and you see me laid out. And see, every two years I bought a new car. Clean, 
But when I accepted the Lord, a lot of the folks, Elaine took a lot from me. Because on Friday night when I stepped out, responsibility of the children's were hers. I'm going out to have some fun and relax. You know something? God had to teach me as a man how to relax at home. God had to teach me as a man. There was nothing really out there that I didn't already have where? At home. See? And out there while I'm sneaking, at home I don't have to sneak. See? And God had to teach me and understand something. When you seek him, he'll teach you. So one of the things when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of those old things had to do what? And the scripture said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Guess what? The old things do what? Pass away. One of the evidence, if you are really born again, is that the old things are what? Yeah. And you don't even desire them no more. Because really, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. The joy of the Lord becomes your life. The joy of the Lord becomes your all in all. It's the joy of the Lord of pleasing Him. It changes you. But if you're saying you're saved and you're with the same group, I doubt if you're saved. Because somewhere you've got to cut loose the old. Why? It keeps drawing you what? <laughs> yeah. And until you can really establish yourself in the Lord to take something back to them, you've got to cut loose or it will draw you right back in. Peter gives us insight. And I'm going to let you look at that because of time. But he gives us insight about things. Paul helps us to recapture what is needed today in 2 Timothy. Because we are even in church, how many people bring their Bibles? Even the electronic ones. Now, I'm going to give you something that is amazing, is truthful, and you may not want to receive it, but it is true. A lot of people in my position, and you even got to watch me, I can be greedy over filthy lucre. But I could care less about you, really, but you pay me well. You do this for me. You do that for me. You got to be careful with that today. And the reason you want to bring your Bible is to make sure I did some type of studying. Because if you don't have your Bible and I just get up here and give you a good story and you get a good laugh and you're able to just, ah, the Holy Spirit's not convicting you. You're not really learning. And what you want to learn is this word. And that Bible becomes a treasure to you because you understand what the book of Revelation says. He who reads this book is blessed. Now, Paul recognized what people had need of was to really 
understand and learn God's word. Let's walk through it real quick there on 2 Timothy 3.15 through 17. I'm going to read the verses and then we're going to come right back through them because it's so important to be able to catch it and understand it. He says in that verse 15, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which was able to make you what? Wise. For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Righteousness. So that the man, now I'm going to put the word woman in it because the word man there just means humanity. That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, he says knowing scripture makes you what? But if you allow Satan to keep you from learning scripture, you won't be wise. Only thing you can lean on is your own understanding. Only thing you can recall is what your friends advised you to do. Only thing you can recall is what mom and dad may have said. But if mom and dad had alcoholic problems, if mom and dad had cheating problems, if mom and dad had this lying spirit within, if mom and dad just kind of like stayed together but didn't really live out of marriage, what do you have? But you're trying to draw upon that. And he says, Scripture, if you're in Scripture, it will make you wise. It'll make you wise. It'll make you look at things differently. It'll cause you to study things differently. It'll cause you to think about things differently. It makes you wiser. We put a lot in our college degrees. I'll put a man of God with God's word up against any degree you want to put in from Akron, U, Kent State. If he knows that word, he'll be much wiser than all the knowledge he gathered from the universities. God didn't say go first seek a great education, but seek him. Why? He will establish something in your life that nobody else can establish. He'll build something in you that nobody else can build. And he says, boy, if you study my word and really learn my word, you'll be wise. He says, where's the philosopher? Where's the wise man of this world? Where's that person who thinks they have all knowledge? Bring them before me. And the thing is simply this. When you really learn to be a godly woman, a godly man, and your heart is seeking after God, you'll be surprised how many other things fall off. You'll be surprised the real freedom that you have. What people don't know is this. Satan holds them in captivity. It's Satan that binds you. God gives you freedom. And he says, boy... If you study the scripture, it makes you wise. And the first thing it begins to make you wise in is in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Now understand this simple principle. If your relationship is not right with Jesus, all other relations are faulty. (laughs) 
when you get the right relationship with Jesus, you are strengthened for all other relationships. Whether it be with your employer, whether it be with your friends, whether it be with just neighbors, whether it be with your co-workers, you are now ready to deal in relationships with everybody else. But if you have a faulty relationship or no relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not ready for any kind of relationship. He says, number two, it gives us knowledge. Knowledge of salvation. People, God is not just saving you just to keep you from hell. And a lot of people think, I'm just saved and I'm just kept from going to hell. No. God is saving you to be a servant of his. God is saving you to assign a work or a task to you. God is saving you that you might be faithful to him, not to the world. God is calling you to himself because no man can serve two masters. And God is doing a work in building you up. That's why when the scriptures in there, it says he equipped you. Why? God is doing a whole new work in you to equip you to do ministry, to do battle, to be able to have victory, to be able to overcome, to be able to feel confident about yourself. Why? If God be for me, who can be what? Against me. I have the confidence of that. I can face anybody. I can stand with anybody. I can deal with any problem. Why? My God is greater. Some of us need to see God knock some folks out. When I say that, I'm talking about circumstances. Because he's able. He's able. And he says he gives us knowledge for salvation because salvation becomes a way of life. Not just that I'm saved, but this is how I live now. Why? Because God's hand is upon me. Why? God is dwelling in me. Why? This is what God expects of me. Salvation becomes a way of life, not just a statement, I'm saved. But this is how I live because I'm saved. And how to live life by faith. See, a lot of people in church life, they'll say they're saved, but they never exercise faith. They don't know what it is to step out in faith. They don't know what it is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason a lot of us don't trust God, because we don't really have that good, solid relationship with him. We really don't know him, but we know what we know. We know our so-called friends. We know what we know and what we're used to. But ask me to begin to walk in a strange land. Ask me to be, get ready to do something differently. See, when I was in India, and this is years ago, my host family said, you stay here. And they went on up in for the celebration of the God that they were having in that area. And they were shifting the roses out into the water and everything. And I got my little camera. I couldn't get the pictures I wanted. So I was going towards and I didn't recognize there was two other men coming towards me. And Himaly ran to me. Pastor Brown, I told you to stay there. 
Because those two men about ready to hurt me because I didn't know I was defiling their worship. I didn't know it. And I didn't know all the customs. And the thing is simply this here. You and I got to be willing to step out in faith and believe God will protect us. If God says do it, I do it with all my heart, with all my might, with all my strength, and all the talent he's given me, we do it. We step out in faith believing God's going to provide. God's going to meet the need. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. Some may ask me, well, Pastor, why are we trying to expand the parking lot 40 by 150? And, and I figured out cars, you do six feet across for cars, that's 50 more cars we put in. That when we have something, people aren't all in the grass or mud or whatever. Not doing it because, boy, it's for the future. Not so much for present. But it's what I believe God is yet going to do in this life of this church. Then to believe this, in verse 16, it says, as God breathed. For a lot of people, they don't even know what that means, God breathed. Let me just say it in this simple term, God spoke it. (laughs) You try to speak a word with no breath. God spoke it. Now you've got to come to a, a place where you either believe this Bible is the word of God or it's not. It can't be both. It can't be partial. If it's partial, you're trying to go through it and pick out what part is man and what part is God. And what I'm trying to share with you is this. It's all God's word. God spoke it. God spoke it. But you've got to come to a place that you really believe that is God's word. God spoke it. You can believe it. And when you come to a place where you can really believe it, you're able to step out. When you come to a place where you really believe it, you understand that you're never alone in life. For God will never leave you nor forsake you. You come to a place where you really believe that God is right there to order your steps, to speak to you. And you got to begin to discern God's voice over all the other voices you hear in your mind. Because as you get into God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Sometimes you'll find yourself weeping because you're seeing yourself. Sometimes you'll find yourself weeping because you see the glory of God, as Isaiah says, that I am an unclean man who dwells, what? Among unclean people. And you'll even then begin to see yourself, I'm nothing but a filthy rag. If it was not for the righteousness of Christ that I'm clothed with, we begin to see a different picture of ourselves. And there's times you're just going to jump up from your chair and you're going to do your little holy dance and you're going to have such a joy in it because God has spoken and showed something to you that you never thought would be part of your life. And all you're going to say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because God has spoken to you. God has ministered to you directly in that quiet time, in that prayer time, in that time you're reading the scripture and you're learning his voice. 
is God breathed? Is God's word? Is God's, as they used to say, God's love letter to those who love him? God's going to redirect our lives. How? By his teaching. He's going to correct us. And this is the part sometimes we can't stand. Go back into that verse 16. Rebuking is a strong rebuke and simply saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. And guess what people hate to hear today? I'm wrong. I'm an adult. What does that mean? I can show you literally millions of adults, adults that are living failing lives, miserable lives, no success. Just because you're an adult does not guarantee that you're going to be successful. Success is something that has to be learned. You have to be taught how to be successful. You have to be taught how to make decisions. You have to be taught how to look over the facts and then figure out what's best for you. You have to be able to do that. So God comes along and says, you're wrong. Stop that. But he doesn't stop there. Because the next word is correction. He gives you instructions of what is right now. He corrects you. He doesn't want you to continue in the wrong that you're doing and think that he can bless it and he can rubber stamp it and say, that's great, that's wonderful. No, God can never bless sin. That's why he says, it's wrong. And here's how we do it. If you're going to live in my house, this is how you're going to live. Remember what Joshua said? For me and my house, we're going to what? Serve the Lord. With my kids, there's one rule, we don't work on Sunday. Oh, I got a job in McDonald's, but well, you better go tell the boss. You can't be there until after 2 o'clock. Work the evening shift. We don't work. And a lot of us trade that off. Oh, yes, but what are we teaching our kids? Put God what? Second, the other. The men used to get on me at Chrysler. Because, boy, they had to make me on Sunday work on Chrysler. Because I had a responsibility of a Sunday school class. And I would say no until they did mandatory work for everybody. Everybody had to show up. Well, when it's mandatory, I got to show up too. I'm going to get written up. But as long as I had the choice to see if somebody else would work my Sunday or my Saturday, and the man you say, you you know how much money you're giving up on Saturday and Sunday? Let me share a little secret with you. I could be no more blessed than what I am today. for what God has done. And I can't tell you how he's done it other than I know that he did it. I don't know how our bank account grew. I don't know how God sometimes put gas in the car. I don't know how God educated three children through college. But let me share this with you. I have not missed a beat to have traveled to four or five different countries to speak before different groups 
to be able to do and to serve five different presidents, and I mean to sit down in the CMA across the table with five different presidents and, and debate the issue of ethnics over the rest, to be the president of African-American churches, to be able to do the things that God has allowed me to do, I would have never dreamed about in my own life. I thought I was going doing good. You're going to Chrysler every day. I thought I was doing great when I saw that check on Friday. <laughs> but the thing is this. There's something far greater when you serve the Lord that God does. That God does. Let's get ready to end out here. We have communion here this morning. Go to Isaiah 55.7. And, and, and I want you to catch this. Isaiah 55. And pick up in verse 7 and 8. We're just going to read a little bit further too. But we're going to start there. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way. When people come to Christ, they always forget a little something. It's going to cost something. It's going to cost something. You have to be willing to forsake your way. Why? You're living under God's household now. I don't care who comes into my house. If you're going to stay in my house, you've got to follow my rules. <laughs> Anytime you want to leave, that door, as my dad used to say, the door swings both ways. But if you decide to stay, this is what's going to happen. See, I remember with my daughter-in-law. We went to a wedding of one of my other nieces, and she got upset because my son was in the wedding and wasn't able to give her much time. And next thing I know, boy, she's ready to go home because she's a spoiled little brat. And, and, I, and she just wanted to just leave and, and, and leave Gus and everything else. We left the party. We got to my house, and I said, I want to talk to you. I said, in my home, we have peace. And you're not going to come into my house causing disruption. Now, you're spoiled, and you're used to getting your way. That's not going to happen here. Now, your father allows you to come here for this weekend. My responsibility is make sure you get back home safely. And that's what I will do. But the thing I want you to understand, if you marry my son, or if he chooses to marry you, and if I see what I'm seeing now, my advice is going to be no. Because you're not going to disrupt my family. And whenever she comes, we have peace. Why? She knows boundaries when it's in my house. She knows boundaries. Okay. And sometimes with my kids, they'll call and ask advice. My son, 40-some years old, he'll still call and ask advice. That's out of a relationship. When you have the right relationship with God, 
What's that old song? Call him up. <laughs> You'll do that. He, he says again, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. See the change of mind? See the leaving of the old? Let him turn to the Lord. Boy, what is repentance? What's this? You are accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will freely, what? Pardon. He forgets all of our past. He's dealing with the moment. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now we need to understand that. My thoughts are not God's thoughts about certain things. So God got to begin to teach me. And he goes on, he says, boy, neither are your ways my ways. What is he saying? You got to learn how to act like me. Very quickly, before we go to communion, what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? The other week I was down the mission teaching, and, and a lot of guys said, we're made in his image, we're made in his image. What does that mean? That God has two eyes, two ears, two hands, two legs, that he looks like us? When you want to really study the image of God, and the word image means simply there, overshadowing or resemblance. So when you really begin to say you're made in his image, check his character. Check his character. That's the image. His image of love. To love. How many understand? Everybody who goes to hell will be loved by God. But he loves them enough to what? Let them have their own way. That's real love. When you can let something what? Go. When you see the kindness of God. And a lot of times I say it in this way. The mercy is not really for the Christian. The mercy is for who? The unbeliever. <laughs> the blessing is for who? The Christian. Not for the unbeliever. Hey. And then to see him in his holiness and his purity. That's the image he wants to bring us to. That's why he says, when I see Jesus face to face, I will become what? Like him. Why? There is the purity of God because Jesus said unto Philip, you asked to see the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. The character of our holiness, the character of our purity, our character is that image of God. It's our character. It's our heart. It's our mind. That's the image of God. Not this outer shell, not this stuff out here. It's what's in here that becomes that real image of God. His righteousness is the image of God. Study his character and you'll see his image.
And that's what he's trying to develop in us. That we might truly be in his image. Amen? Father, we want to thank you for your word. And give us understanding of it, Lord. Give it. Give us clarity. Let it not be ears that words that fall on deaf ears. But may your word go forth and not return to you void. May your word somehow work in every one of our lives. I don't know which part of the message may attract this person or that person or that. But Lord, may everybody leave from here having something in hand and heart that comes from you. That it might bless their life. It might be a building block in their life. It might be a changing moment in their life. It may be a challenge unto them to step out in faith. It may be something that you're directing for their life to be different that they would receive it. Lord, your word is rich. And your word is powerful. For you said, Lord, we have not received salvation just by the word, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you demonstrate the power of your Holy Spirit in every one of our lives. That brings us to a point of change. That brings us to a point to see that I am a new creature in Christ. That brings us to a place in life that says, I can really believe God's word and trust in it. Lord, you have to do that work. No man can do that work. You have to do it. And my prayer is, Lord, that you would work in all of our lives. Because we need you. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen.